Welcome to the FemiPod. These are conversations about females for everyone to listen to, learn from and engage with. Brought to you by your Femi founders, Esther Kewen and myself, Lydia Adolfo. to this week's episode of the Femi Pod. Today we are welcoming our first Femi friend to the podcast to have a chat with us. This incredible female has been an inspiration to us even before we launched Femi. She was one of our dream female leaders that we wanted to have on our team. The incredible Lucy Bartholomew is known for her grit, her drive, her bubbly personality and her love for planet Earth. Lucy jumped into the running scene when completing her first 100Ks at the tender age of 15. Since then, Lucy has traveled the world running and building communities, being an advocate for self-love, self-acceptance, and self-belief, no matter who you are or what you do. Lucy is now our head trail and ultra running coach at Femi, and we couldn't be more proud to have her on our team. Welcome to the Femi pod, Lucy. How are you and what's been happening? Hey, wow. What an intro. Thank you so much for having me on. It's, uh, it's such an honor to, uh, to be on the podcast, but to be a part of the Femi team. What's been happening? Not a whole lot. You know, we've been in lockdown and so it's just kind of rise, run, rinse, repeat. Um, but you know, I'm kind of getting into that groove now and it's, uh, it's feeling almost normal, which is scary. I agree we have been in lockdown for a very long time but um, I always say thank god for running it has really saved me personally I'm sure it saved all three of us absolutely (laughs) we're going to jump straight into it so the first question which kind of leads on nicely from what you've been up to what are you excited about or what is inspiring you at the moment I'm excited I'm excited about the the warmer weather coming for sure. Um, so I'm excited for the long days in the sun and hopefully getting out to the mountains. I, I don't have any races on my schedule. I had some that kind of just have been removed recently, but it doesn't make me any less excited for kind of that, yeah, that same groove of training, but just being able to go to some trails and some mountains and spend some long days in the sun. Um, and yeah, and then I'm excited to hopefully start, you know, 2022 with the uh, yeah, with some hopefully some travel, some races and some community meeting and running with people would be a, a dream right now. Amazing. Um, and obviously you've become a uh, cyclist recently. So now that um, your plans have changed, do you think you're going to keep that up? Yeah. So I became a cyclist. I got back into cycling or not back. I started cycling for an Ironman that I was meant to be doing in December in WA it just doesn't look like it's going to be possible and some life circumstances are, are going to make it hard. So I definitely have actually really loved the cycling. I um, I got a bike that fits me and suits me and it's actually on the weekend I went for a long cycle in the sun and it's just a totally different experience than uh, riding in the winter. So I think I'm going to keep it in because I really think it's helped my body and sustainability and it just feels good midweek to to break up the running and yeah, go a long way, but not work as hard as running. And um, Lucy, how did you, and when did you find your love for running? 
Yeah. So I got into running through my dad. My dad's um, a prolific runner. He's done the Melbourne marathon, I think like 20 times. And he was looking for uh, a new challenge. You know, as you get older and older, he was kind of like, oh, I'm just slowing down at the marathon distance. And that art of comparison was taking the joy out of it for him. So he found uh, trail running and he found this hundred kilometer. And I remember him just being terrified, looking at this entry list and the mandatory gear he had to carry. He was like thermals and a fleece and food and water and a snake bandage like what's going on out there and um we we I kind of like I don't know it was just something that really broke him down to being like a a newbie at something and I remember being a, a then 13 year old and just kind of being like yeah dad we can do this we'll train together I'll ride my bike next to you and you can run and we started to share these journeys away and go camping and exploring trails and as I got stronger I threw the bike back and started running next to him. And, you know, it was a really beautiful thing. I went up, I watched him finish this uh, 100K race and I got out amongst the course. And I'll never forget, and this is kind of the biggest thing that got me into the sport, was that I saw the leaders of the sport, the people who came in first place, you know, looking super amazing and swift on the trail, really light on their feet and agile. Then I saw like the middle of the pack, like my dad, who was head down, working hard and, you know, just incredible feet. And then the back of the pack and these men and women of all different shapes and sizes. And they're walking around the bush with cake in one hand, a handful of chips and, you know, taking a selfie in the middle of nowhere. And I just was like, this is a sport. This is incredible. I mean, I can like, I'm a good eater and I like walking and running. Um, And so when I saw my dad finished, it was kind of like, I'm going to find the next race that'll let a, you know, a a then 15 year old, um, to to do it. And so one race let me in, in Victoria and the rest is history. Yeah. I'd love to know a little bit more about that hundred Ks. Like obviously at 15, at such a young age, even to run a half marathon, that's a pretty crazy distance as a teenager. Um, do you like when looking back on that experience, is there anything like you regret or is it something that you're obviously like, you should be so proud of that, but you know, it's such a, a long distance. Do you think you were kind of naive and understanding how far that was at the time? Yeah, definitely. I would say I always, whenever I stepped up in distance, uh, I've always said I'm blissfully unaware of what could go wrong, what could, you know, what it might mean for the aftermath and the effect it has on the body. Um, when I entered that race, you know, I obviously had seen my dad and seen him limping around for a few days and him, you know, coughing up a lung for a little bit and kind of had an idea of it, but it's definitely different when you experience it. Um, and the thing is, is that like, I wanted to do the progression. I wanted to do the half and the marathon. Um, but I, on the road, you know, most of the races you have to be 18. And so I wasn't 18, but for some reason in a hundred kilometer trail race was like, Oh, no worries. We'll take the 15 year olds. Um, you know, I was always like in a marathon, I could just step off the road and get a, a cab home. You know? <laughs> Oh, but on the trails, I'm out there and in it. Um, but it's kind of the way, you know, life unravels. And when I got in, when I entered, um, they gave me a whole list of different expectations and hurdles I had to overcome to prove that I was fit enough and healthy enough to, to do this feat. And, um, you know, I had to submit a nutrition plan for the race, my training plan for three months prior. I had to get um, blood check. I had to get like a medical pass and stuff. And so I overcame all those hurdles. 
Uh, and when they posted, they said, oh, we've got this 15-year-old. She's going to run side by side with her dad. And there was a lot of backlash. There was a lot of people that kind of said, you know, when any, when you do anything that's unknown, there's people that are skeptical that kind of say, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. Um, you know, running a marathon's far enough. Why, why is she doing this? Like, you know, her, she's got bad parents for, for making her do this. Like she's obviously got an eating disorder or an exercise addiction. And I just remember like there was also a school group of 15 to 16 year old girls and guys that were walking, but the fact that they were walking the hundred Ks and I said that I wanted to take two feet off the ground at some point and run, uh, was kind of like, whoa, 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 no, you don't do that. Um, and so it was just interesting to kind of have that feeling and like the expectation that people didn't think I was going to make it. And I just remember like standing on the start line and my dad saying, you know, Lucy, there's a lot of people out there that want to pull you out and you've got to smile the whole way through this hundred kilometers because they'll pull you out. Otherwise, if you look tired, if you look like you're not having as much fun, if you look like you're limping a little bit or whatever, they're going to pull you out because they don't want to be known for, you know, really hurting this person. And so I, um, yeah, I ran with like the most joy just to like as a middle finger to to all the people that said I couldn't do it. I was like, I'll show you that I love running and I don't love it because I want to be like the youngest or the first or whatever. I love it because I, I get to spend the day on the trail with my dad. I get to achieve something that I saw him achieve and was inspired by. And I, I get to be a part of that community and I get to eat the can- the Coke and the chips. <laughs> do you know what I love most in the entire story is that I think I remember hearing about you running the 100Ks, you know, and I would have been maybe 20 at the time. And I heard about this Australian girl who's 15 running 100 kilometers. And so many people, even in our circles, said that, you know, it's unfortunate because she won't be able to carry on running after that. Like that will be the end of her running story. And the fact that you're still running and proving everyone wrong, like that's probably what I love the most out of it all. And I mean, you still have plenty in the tank to come. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, thank you. Um, Luce, you speak so highly about your dad and obviously have such a close bond with him. How do you think he's impacted your life, apart from obviously inspiring you to run 100K at 15? Yeah, my dad, I mean, he's a huge part of my life, more so in lockdown than probably I would care to want. Um, We've definitely been side by side for the last uh, year and a half. Um, but he's, he's always been there, you know, he's the constant, I think, you know, people have seen this progression of me in the sport and running 15 Ks at hundred Ks at 15. And then, you know, being a professionally sponsored athlete and running a hundred miles and traveling the world. And I think that people just think that I just manage that on my own, but I think my dad has this other perspective where he's kind of seen the highs and the lows, the good days, the bad days. And, you know, he's traveled across this overseas to, to see me race. And he's been there on finish lines, watched me come first and watched me suffer into the end. And he's also been back home when I've come back and, you know, I've really been fatigued from that whole experience and the training and, you know, really had to step back, um, and just kind of chill out. And then he also kind of sees the other side, which is, you know, the, uh, emotional toll it takes when you've got so many people following you and you've got people's opinions and comments. And I think he's always been someone that kind of just like reminds me and taps me on the shoulder and just says like, just step back Lucy and just kind of look at this as a bigger picture. And one person's comment isn't what everyone's thinking. And one race doesn't define you as an athlete. And, you know, he's just always been there to kind of be like, 
just remember why you started and that was to be with people, to see places and to to follow your passion. And when you start to go off off path on that, you know, it's going to get really, really challenging. And, yeah, he's kind of that man that just uh, is there for me no matter what. Your dad sounds amazing. (laughs) When thinking about, you know, your running journey so far, is there one moment in your career where you felt the happiest? And if, you know, if you can remember that one moment, let's dive a little bit deeper into it. Oh, that's a great question. I think I would say, you know, finishing that 100 kilometers at 15, you know, I didn't win that race. It wasn't like an outstanding performance, but it was the first time that I think I, it was a poignant time in my career because I overcame a lot of people's comments and a lot of uh, hurdles to get there. And then it probably wasn't even the finish line. It was maybe at 50 kilometers where we were kind of just, my dad and I, you know, I'd been told you have to stay with your dad the whole time. And we were walking along with our can of Coke and some pot noodles as the sun was setting. And it was just like, we're doing this. Like, we're going to finish this. It's going to be like, you know, the cool thing about running with him was that when I was having a high, he was usually having a low. When I was in a low, he was in a high. And I, he always hits this wall because he's always heard about the marathon wall and it kind of for ultra running probably comes at like that 50 kilometers, you know, where you're like, I'm only halfway. And, um, I just remember just being like, Lucy, this is your chance. Like your dad has pulled you through so much and now you're going to be the one to like lift his spirits. And, you know, I was like making jokes and having fun. We were walking along the sand and, you know, kind of pointing things out in the distance. And I was just like, so many people miss this opportunity, you know, so many people think, wish they'd started running earlier or wish that they'd spent more time with their parents. And here I am just like in the middle of absolute nowhere on the coastline, just like munching on some noodles, drinking a can of Coke and like walking along the beach, like at sunset, like this is insane. <laughs> that sounds pretty beautiful. And the noodles tops it off as well. So yeah. good. What, what race fuel, um, Let's flip the switch a little bit here and um, go into what um, either a moment in time or a period of time where potentially you didn't love running so much or or was the hardest part of your running career, um, either mental or physical. Yeah, well, this is probably the most recent kind of feeling that I've, I feel like I've just kind of coming out of that valley of feeling like that. Um, and I think it it kind of you know, there's always going to be, you know, you got to have the light to have the darkness. And I think that you have to be at the top to then realize that you're not there anymore and that you're at the bottom. And so for me, you know, I, in 2018, I raced the Western States hundred miles in America in June. Um, and I was first hundred mile race, first international in America race and kind of no one had expectations on me it was a race that I've always just wanted to finish. And, um, it was on our bucket list, dad and I, and to get an entry is is an absolute privilege. And I finished third. I led for a hundred kilometers and ended up finishing third place. And, you know, I was top of the game. I was loved by the media. I was followed by thousands and thousands of people. Um, and I was like, Oh, I've got this sport nailed. Like I get this, this is what you do, right? This is how we race. This is how you run. And, I'm unstoppable, you know, I, and I continued for that 2018 to have an, an a magical year, but a year that also like in reflection, I look back and I list what I did and what I achieved. And I say achieved with quotation marks because like 
would I give up some of those achievements? Probably. Um, because what it did is it led me, led me to 2019 where I didn't want to train. I didn't want to race. And I got, if you come top 10 at Western States, you get to an automatic entry into next year and you're expected to want to return, obviously, because it's an amazing experience. A lot of people were kind of like, great, you came third in your first try. Like, man, second or first is all we expect of you. And I kind of tried to replicate my same buildup. I was like, all right, well, I raced this, this, and this beforehand. And that told me that I was in good shape or whatever. And um, I, I like hated every experience of the races that I did again. And I was way slower, way unmotivated. And I just kind of I was like, wow, I'm letting all these people down. And I was also kind of struggling with my body hormonally, like after racing so prolifically in 2018, I think my body just went, whoa, like you need to slow down and we're going to make you slow down. And I was lucky it didn't result in like an injury. Actually, I take that back. I wish I'd just had a stress fracture and I just sat my ass down. But instead I had, you know, these hormonal imbalances and gut issues, which no one really like you tell someone like, oh, I've got like my stomach hurts. People are like, you'll be fine. Run it out, <laughs> you know? And so I just like kept pushing, kept pushing. And my body was just like, dude, like, what are you doing? And I remember standing on the start line of Western States 2019 and like, you know, in the comparison to 2018, I didn't look at my watch for a hundred kilometers. Uh, time flew by and I just had an amazing, that flow state that we all aspire for in running. And in 2019, I think at one kilometer, I looked at my watch and was like, that was only a kilometer. Like I thought we were going to be at least 20 in or something, you know, I was, and I was just struggling the whole time. And I finished that race and it was probably one of the most heartbreaking things I've done because I just ran with this feeling of like, I've let people down. I've let myself down. This is just like so embarrassing. Like stop taking photos of me. Why are you cheering for me? I'm so far back. My brother was there. My dad was there and my, yeah, everyone was just like, wow, this is total different experience. And I think that that was like a really challenging thing. And I kind of stepped back from racing after that. I pulled out of three other international races that I traveled to. And then I was like, gosh, you know, my sponsors are paying for me to travel. And I'm just coming and then being like, no, nah, I don't want to do this. And then I'm surrounded by athletes who are just like stoked on life and jazzed about running. And I'm just like, you know what? I'd be fine just sitting here and like being a normal tourist and taking the the um the lift up the mountain I don't really want to run up there and uh yeah it was a pretty kind of eye-opening uh year and a half um which brought me into 2019 and then you know I think I was one of the lucky few that COVID came and made me stop racing kind of paired me back and uh yeah and then kind of had to reassess what I was doing with this sport because, uh, yeah, I wasn't loving it and I was just doing it. And I think there's a, a huge difference between wanting to run, having to run and needing to run like the vocabulary you use around your training. You know, it's not like I get to go running. It was like, I have to, you know, because I'm Lucy, the runner, I need to, because I'm sponsored and this is my job. It's like, no, I get to, I can run and I want to run. And I kind of, yeah, I've had to, to reassess that and um, go back to the basics of, yeah, why I run. Yeah, wow. That's an incredible story in itself. And I think there's a lot there that we definitely want to unpack, especially around your hormone health and your journey with your hormones. But I think um, by starting off, like, 
myself, I'm not an ultra marathoner, but I have, you know, I run marathons and me and Esther, we've both been training and running since we were pretty young. And um, it's, I guess, a struggle that I've personally had for a long time and really only overcome in the last few years is about body image and body image in sport and the pressure that I felt to look a certain way to be classified as a marathon runner. I think um, personally, me, myself running on track, I didn't feel the pressure as such, but definitely lining up on that start line of my first marathon, I just didn't feel like I belonged there because I didn't look the way that a lot of the elite girls looked. And um, do you feel like there's that sort of pressure in the ultra world to look a certain way? Have you felt that before? Yeah, I think this is an interesting one because I really feel like ultra running when I started and when I was 15 was such a new sport and it was such a interesting community. Everyone was just so themselves and it was such a positive thing as a 15-year-old to see people just running around in colourful T-shirts and hollering and yelling and just like having the best time and we all know that when we run you know it breaks you down and you have these conversations that you would never have even with a psychiatrist um and it was just like an incredibly um yeah like safe space to be in and as a 15 year old I was always like oh I can just tell anyone everything like people are just so welcoming and loving and they love me for me and they just love moving their bodies and this is great And then I think as the sport has grown and people are coming into the sport from different avenues and they're seeing the potential in ultra running um, because no doubt you don't have to be as fast. Like to be a professional marathon or a professional track athlete, standards are high, like really high. Um, And I think that with ultra running, you know, the standard is high, but it's not as high. And I think that they're seeing like this is an easy way for me to kind of make it in a sport. What comes with that is you get a lot of those um, those mentality or those um, be that like eating disorders um, and that kind of stuff comes with those people. That baggage from other sports starts to infiltrate into ultra running, and I think as the sport is growing and as we start to see that there's more. Um, coverage of the sports you can follow it online there's lots of photos and it's you know it's a real um well it's getting a it's a sponsored sport now you know it's making money I think that it's starting to change and it's starting to shift and the the sports at a real crossroads of kind of like you know these people are coming into the sport and they're doing really well but are they going to be doing well for a long time um and I personally you know when I raced in Western States in 2018, I was the leanest. Um, and I, you know, you would say probably the fittest, but I would say that's untrue. I would say I was the unhealthiest and the least sustainable, but I was telling myself, I was like, you know, June 28, Lucy, June 28, once you've done that race, you'll, we're going to like, just like reassess, get ourselves healthy again, because you're not getting a period. You're like, things are going down, but like, you're going to hold on. What happened though for me is that I had all these people start following me and they followed me when I was at this weight and this health and this size. And so that was the expectation. And suddenly I felt like, no, Lucy, you can't let go of this because this is who you are. Like, and the moment that I started to, well, my body forced me, I wouldn't say forced me, my body started to make its changes that it needed to. And, you know, my love for running subsided and my need to, to put on some weight and to be sustainable and to be healthy um, you know, people just threw out comments and threw out, you know, what, like, what's going on? Why is she, why is she getting fat? Like, why is she changing? What's she doing? Oh, like she did terrible in this race. Gosh, that's because she does this plant, a vegan diet must be terrible for you because look at her. 
And I think that that's just like when you start to see that and you, I think what I was really uh, uncomfortable with was that if people say that about me, what would they say to someone else who comes into the sport? And so I was, I'm very adamant that like, I will call out and I will put a stop to any comment that talks about me and my body and how I look and my shape because the ball has to stop with me. If I let that slide, it's going to go into someone else's comments and that person might not have the support or the thick skin that I've been lucky enough to, well, lucky enough, but also kind of forced into growing um, who's, who for the future of the sport. So I think that, Body image is such a complicated topic and it's getting more and more talked about, but it is it is just such a horrible thing to be expected to look some way, to be accused of having something, to having problems or issues, to, um, yeah, to be kind of like pulled down by your appearance when, yeah, it just when I was winning and I was skinny, people were happy. When I'm healthy and I'm at my personal um body weight that feels good and hormonally feels good and everything's working, people are unhappy, you know, and it's, I'm never going to win, you know, I'm either going to be too skinny or I'm going to be too big. And I think that that's just like this constant battle that, um, I feel so strongly about changing that narrative and just being like, just say, you know, you don't have to comment on how I look when I'm running, just say she's smiling, just say she's, you know, she's out there, like how incredible, how empowering, um, I, I'm not interested in being like, wow, you know, like her thighs touch, like, I don't care. Like those thighs power me up these hills. And, uh, you know, that's way more important than, uh, than anything. So yeah, it's a, it's a tough topic to talk about. And I think it's something that we're starting to see more of a narrative change. Yeah. Wow. That's insane. And people need to be really careful about what they say, um, about, any, they shouldn't be talking about a female or anybody's body um, to start with. But, yeah, it's crazy what you've been through and they're really, really proud that you have such a thick skin from it. But, yeah, it's not cool that people make these comments about you. But um, I'm not sure if you saw, like, a recent post by a lady called Holly Bradshaw. Um, she's, like, an incredible pole vault athlete. Um, she was always told that she was too big and then she ended up coming third at the World Champs and she still got told that she was too big. So there will always be people that have some sort of comment um, about someone's body Um, and she refuses to wear a crop top and that's really heartbreaking and um, it hits close to home for me because I struggle and have struggled to be confident in a crop top and it's something that I'm working on. Um, But I wondered if you struggle at all now with body confidence and what you wear and do you still sometimes have thoughts that potentially come through your head from what people have said and and how do you try to beat those thoughts and, and wear what you want when you want? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, normally my way to combat that is I go running in the trails in the mountains where no one's going to see me. And so I can take my top off and run in my crop top or do whatever, you know, it's, it's not a, a, a sexy sport when you're out in the mountains sometimes, you know, it is what it is. But I think that when I've been running around these home streets uh, in lockdown, I've definitely been like, wow, there's a lot of people and a lot of cars and, you know, I think that what I always come back to, and I've spoken to, a, I think every athlete that I coach at Femi about this, is that when you're driving along and you pass someone who's running, I don't look at them and go, man, like, 
she should not be running. Like she had, her thighs are hitting and her, you know, I'll be looking at her going, damn, I wish I was running. Like I see them and I think that, and then at the end of my day, they're not on my mind still. I'm not still going, man, do you remember that girl and the way that she was running? Like, no, people's lives are moving full fast forward. And I think that what we think is that everyone's looking at us, everyone's judging, and then everyone's remembering that. No one, everyone's so caught up in their own life that they're not going to be like, man, but did you remember that girl from a week ago? Like, no, things have moved on. And I think that that's what I kind of had to remember. And you know, whenever I have been remembered for running, they've been like, oh man, yeah, I remember you were smiling. Like, why are you smiling up that hill? Like no one runs that hill. Um, you know, and it seems like that. And it's kind of remembering that that is what, like people aren't focused on you. People don't give a flying F about what you're doing. And I think that that's what we get so caught up in our head and we, we make it so dramatic. But at the end of the day, like you do you. And I think that that's what's, uh, what's, I just remind myself. And when I have those days of like, oh man, like Lucy, what, don't put a crop top on. Like, what are you doing? I put it on and I'm like, you know what? Middle finger to all the people who are going to look at this and think, wow, she should not be wearing that. Um, because you know, there's probably one person that's looking at me going, man, I wish I was running and wow. Like, you know, who cares what you look like, you know? And that's, that one person means more than the 10 people that for 10 seconds are going to look and go, huh, wow, probably should put a t-shirt on. And I think that that's kind of like, yeah, you, I, I try to radically do what my mind on those days says don't do. It's like, you know, patterns of eating disorders, right? Like you might be saying, I'm not going to eat, don't eat. You don't deserve to eat, don't eat. You know what? Go eat and then some, you know, make it like radically oppose that thought. And it's, it's really hard. And you probably work on a bit of an extremist. If I run a hundred Ks at 15, I'm kind of all in or not in. And that's how I know that I work. I'm either like going to wear five layers of jumpers because I'm so self-conscious or I'm going to be like, oh, I might as well not even wear a crop top. And then I'll see what people look at me and think about, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, I just, I try to do the radical, radical thing. And that's not for some people. It might be put a t-shirt on over the crop top. And then when you feel comfortable, maybe you're off a main road and you're just on side streets, take it off and realizing, realize that no one cares. The birds aren't looking at you. The dogs at the windows aren't looking at you. People aren't sitting at their kitchen table, looking outside, waiting for something to look at and to acknowledge. Like, I think that that's, what's really important is just kind of having that zoomed out perspective of realizing that actually nobody cares. I'm sorry, but no one cares. If you're, even if you like feel really confident you're running around like being like, I've got my rig out and it's full of an eight pack. I'm sorry. You're not, no one cares. Like you just do you. I think um, when you talk about extremists, I think, you know, the most successful people in the world are extremists and that's why they're so good at what they do. So I'm not surprised at all. Luce, do you think, you know, today where you are right now, do you love your body? I think that that's a, I mean, that changes hour by hour. I feel like, I feel like that's something that, you know, I wake up and I've really made a habit. I was listening to a podcast on the weekend and she talks about how we've been told that we look in a mirror and we wake up, we're brushing our teeth or whatever. And we pick apart ourselves. We look at it and we go, man, like I look really tired. My skin, I got acne. Like, Oh, what are you doing with your hair, Lucy? Like get a haircut. Um, and all these things. 
And then to oppose that and to probably radically do it is she's like, you know what? I high five my reflection. And I was like, that's such an interesting thing to do because it kind of feels a bit weird. And, uh, and she says, because we have been from the very beginning of time, when we're very young, we high five someone because we congratulate them. When you're high fiving someone in a race or a marathon or an ultra marathon, you're saying, good job, keep going. You've got this. It's a transfer of energy. It's a, a feeling of being seen and felt. And it's like, yes, you've got this. But we would never high five ourselves. We're great at giving out high fives. Um, you know, and I, I was, we only, and we high five someone during a race and then we'll like give them a hug or something at the finish line. But I think that like when you look at yourself in the mirror and at the start of the day, when you haven't achieved anything, well, you got out of bed, so that's pretty good. But, you know, to wake up and to high five yourself, it's, it, I just, honestly, I was like, this is so naff, but I've drawn a hand on my mirror and I'm like, Lucy, every day you will wake up and you will high five yourself because you have gotten up and you are going to support yourself. You've seen yourself, you appreciate yourself and you're giving yourself that energy to keep going forward. It's this podcast by um, Rich Roll with Mel Robbins. The most life-changing two and a half hours. I had a run on Saturday, but I listened to that podcast so intensely because I was like, ignore the legs, ignore the legs, listen to the headphones, listen to the headphones. And I've come away being like, wow, like, what are we doing? Why are we so self-deprecating? And so like they say, you know, talk to the, talk to yourself the way you would talk to your best friend. And I think that that's just something that like, I can't do most days. I'm like, oh no, Lucy, you're, God, you're so slow at running it right now. You're like, what are you doing with, like, you look awful. Like, what are you doing? And I think that it's, it's so refreshing to see people accept that that's how they, they wake up and feel, but then to take little measures, a high five to a mirror to kind of say, you know what? I hear that side. I see that side, that little devil on this shoulder, but I've also got the angel on the other shoulder that says, uh, actually, you know, we're doing okay. We're going to be okay. And Maybe I don't love myself every day. I don't hate myself every day, but I'm mutual about myself. I am who I am and I'm like making steps to be who I want to be in the future. Amazing. I am definitely going to put a high five on my mirror so I can high five myself, especially in this day and age when I can't high five anybody else because of COVID. I'm going to high five myself every morning. Good point. (laughs) Me too. Uh, Let's jump a little bit deeper into your hormone journey. I know you mentioned that you did lose your period and became amenorrheic at one point. Um, How did you, what was the experience by going through that hormone journey at that age? And how did you come back from that? Yeah, definitely. So I honestly, when I lost my period, I was so stoked. I was kind of like, oh, amazing. Like, I don't have to deal with this anymore. This was kind of like it's not un, like it didn't feel unnatural because it felt like so many people were the same. So I was kind of like, Oh, you know, this is what it takes. You know, if I'm going to win this hundred mile race or compete at it, this is what, this is like a box tick, you know, it's like, Oh, okay. We've reached that level and now we're, you know, whatever. And it was kind of, yeah, satisfying, which is so sad. And it's just like, to be very clear, it's none of those things. Um, and what it means is that like, when I finished that race and I was like, no, Lucy, now it's time to reset and we're going to get it back. And like, you know, we've got to be considered healthy and do all these things, but I didn't really want it back. I was like, oh, actually, you know, I'm okay with this and I'll get it back in a few years time. 
Um, and it was such an unhealthy mentality. And I think that really shines a light on how we lose perspective and we lose focus. And I was looking at someone's story the other day, Emily Forsberg, who's a huge um, role model in the world of ultra running. And she's a mom of two girls. And someone said, you know, did you ever lose your period and during training and racing and like, was it a priority to get it back to have kids? And she kind of said, I would never have forgiven myself if I had taken my body to a place that completely destroys the opportunity to do something in the future. And those words, I was like, man, I mean, that speaks not just to periods, that speaks to bone health, that speaks to organ health, like that's everything. Why would you, you could, I could never forgive myself if I put my body in a position where it was like, cool, well, we can just like take off the list of things that you're going to do, you could do in the future, an opportunity that may be ahead of you. And, um, you know, my body, like I said, it kind of, its way of helping and fixing myself was not to give myself a stress reaction or a bone thing. I have really strong bones and managed to hold on to that throughout this whole thing, which is incredible. I'm so grateful for it. Um, but instead it was kind of just like, you know, it went into that um, kind of survival mode where it was like, all right, she's way too lean uh, for us to have, to be able to regulate these hormones. What, what we're going to do is like anything that she does it, we're going to store because we need it. We're not going to like expend it. And so I kind of just went through a period of time where my body just shifted shapes and um, it was it's really challenging mentally, but it also really like my skin got better. My hair got better. My nails got better. And it was kind of like, all right, I don't look in my the mirror and recognize myself. I certainly wasn't fist pumping or high-fiving myself at this point. Um, running was feeling awful. I definitely wasn't in a crop top. Like all these things I 100% recognize within myself, but it was the small little wins. And when I got my period back first, I, for the first time back, I was like, oh yeah, here we go. This is like, I remember this, this feeling of like, oh, this is my week of training, not probably feeling so good. And this is where I'm going to snap at my dad and I'm going to, to do this. But when I started to look into it, because I was reading about it, because I was trying to understand what was going on. Um, as someone who's always kind of like had moderate control, I felt like I'd lost all of it. Um, but I read about it and I listened about it and I realized I was like, you're having such an extreme reaction because you went the extreme the other way. Your body's just as radical as your mind. And I think that that's kind of, you know, when I started like obviously looking at Femi and reading into Femi and kind of understanding and then to doing the kind of the reading and stuff to, to hopefully be a, a good coach that understands this stuff. And it's just like, it's so empowering to get that tick every month that says you're doing good. It's like the mirror high five, but it's like fucking booty slap, like high five, little twerk, like feeling good. Your body is so a-okay. And I just like, how good is that to have? Like if we, we search the world for reassurance from people to say, you're doing good. You're okay. Gold star, nice work. Here's your medal, your award dude, every month I get this like, yeah, man, you're like, you're killing it. First place, nice work, five stars, you know? And I think when you look at it like that and you, I never want to lose it because then I'll be like, oh, I let myself down. <laughs> like I didn't win this race. Like let's, let's lift. Um, and so I think that it was challenging. It's something that I just like, 
yeah, I, I honestly, I feel for so many people that are struggling with this. And I think that it's something that just so needs to be addressed. Um, and it's not talked about enough. It's so, um, yeah, it makes people so uncomfortable. It's incredible. I put a post up on my Instagram about periods and I think I lost about 2000 followers, <laughs> pretty much all men, I'm sure. Um, but it, at the same time, time the engagement from females are being like oh my gosh can we talk about this because I have something to say and I think that that's just like such an incredible like I'd rather have those people following me that want to hear it all than uh, than the ones that are there just for the the nice landscapes and the the running shots and let's be honest men are probably the ones that need to know about it the most <laughs> I think my dad's learning a lot <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. It's so funny. You were so excited and said it was like a booty slap and literally Lydia and I like message each other. And when I'm about to get it, I'm like, yay, it's coming. And I get really excited. Like you said, it's like, yeah, it is such a useful tool that we have as females. Um, Do you think like your journey with your hormone health has affected how you coach your athletes through FEMI? Oh, 100%. You know, I, I don't regret any of my decisions in my life because I know that they're kind of preparing me for something in the future. And I think that I've drawn upon so many of my experiences to the athletes I coach. And I think that that's the beautiful thing about running because whilst like I learn on an international scale and I learn it on a mass scale of people's comments and, you know, it's, it's, quite an extreme, um, learning experience. I can, they still relate to the everyday person. They still relate to every athlete. They relate to every, um, everyone's lives, the same things parallel across. And so I think that I, yeah, I've definitely kind of, you know, I've done other podcasts, I've written articles, I've written blogs, I've written posts, and I've been able to share that across to the, to my athletes and be like, read this, take what you want from it. Like, I'm not here to tell you how to live your life or what to do, but I can give you tools that you can either take or leave. And I think that that's, you know, that's how I'm coached. My coach is very much like, I want to tell you what to do, but here's some reading and here's what science says. And here's, you know, I think Dr. Stacey Sims is something that I've, I just have like a whole multitude of links. And I'm just kind of like, here's what this amazing lady says. And I can tell you that when you read this, you're going to be like, oh, I'm looking at this wrong. Um, and I think that, yeah, that's been so powerful to have that and then to have my own experiences. I, I wouldn't say I'm like an amazing coach, but I have a, a plethora of experiences that allow me to to just shift perspective on people and just kind of say, you know, at the end of the day, dude, it's just running. <laughs> like, let's just, I just want to have a, a friendly chat and see what's been happening. And I'm just here for you, just like everyone else. And um you know, I'm happy to tell you to run 45 minutes and to do some intervals and go for a long run, but you've got to do the hard work, which is, you know, accepting who you are and what you're doing and being healthy because that's on you. I can't do that. You're so humble, Lucy. You are an amazing coach. So own that. (laughs) Uh, You mentioned you are a vegan athlete. So we're really interested just to understand, like, what was your decision? Like, what made you want to go vegan and how long have you been vegan for? Yeah. So I've been vegetarian for about nine years and then vegan for five or six. Um, and it kind of was just like this gradual shift. It wasn't something that I did radically surprise, surprise. Um, but it was something that I was very kind of, um, yeah, I guess I was, I was very interested. So I did a lot of reading and I kind of 
there wasn't a whole lot on athlete athletics and vegan eating. And so I wasn't really sure if it was something that I should be doing. And I was told by every doctor that it was very unsustainable and, and uh, not a healthy way to, to do it for iron levels and for hormones and stuff. But I kind of, you know, I think one thing that comes across for me is like, tell me I can't and I'll show you I can. And so it was kind of like, right, how can I make this work? And uh, how can I do it in a way that's sustainable and that's like self-loving? You know, like I want to eat food that makes me feel good and makes me feel forward. And I want to like, yeah, I want to tick all those boxes. But I also cook for my dad and I want him to enjoy it. I don't want him to be missing out on his on life and uh, on yummy food. So yeah, it was just something that I kind of gradually learned more and tried new things and it gets me excited. It, it's super, a big passion of mine. I probably spend similar amounts of time on the trail as I do in the kitchen, which says a lot. Um, and yeah, I just love it. For me, the biggest thing that I felt the biggest change in was my sleep. So I used to really struggle with, um, with sleep and, uh, I still do some days, but what I found was that having a, like a plant-based dinner, um, so just that one meal a day really enabled me to sleep. And what I've learned as I've read is that like, when you eat like a piece of meat for dinner, you know, that goes into your system and it takes six to seven hours, whatever to digest. And so that time, which is sleep, which is for like repairing, growing, rejuvenating, like cleaning out the body is instead just digesting. Cause I, you know, I have dinner really early, um, but you know, if you have it at six, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, you know, midnight, you're finally starting that recovery process. Uh, but when I, you have like a plant-based meal, um, you know, those to digest takes three, four, four hours maximum. Um, so you kind of have dinner, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So probably by the time you're actually really going to sleep, your body's like, great, let's get to work. Let's get the mops out. Let's start brushing out and cleaning the systems. And that was just like one thing I noticed because recovery is such a huge part of um, being an athlete. And so, yeah, that was the biggest thing for me that really kept me in this, uh, in it, following a plant-based diet. There's probably um, quite a few VG athletes alongside myself um, who would um, love to know like any quick tips and tricks or advice you have to make sure you're hitting like everything that you need in your diet. Because you mentioned, you know, it is a bit harder to get iron as a vegan athlete. Um, so yeah, so just any like tips and tricks you have that um, the listeners can take away. Yeah, definitely. So there's kind of two ways to go. Like, I believe there's two ways to really go about it. Um, you can, I really found tracking, this is going to, so there's two ways to do it depending on the kind of person you are in your background. So there's two ways to go about it um, depending on the kind of how your mindset works. Uh, there's an app called Chronometer, which I highly recommend that if you're okay with calories and putting in food, this app will spit out very, very specifically the nutrients that you're getting and your intake. And I, I know that that can be quite triggering to some people, but I've really found it a great way to understand. It breaks down every nutrient, every A, B, C, D, iron, B12s, all the B groups. And it really gives you an idea. It also gives you options of like, you know, or it tells you, you know, if you're eating spinach, you're getting this much iron. If you eat bananas, you're getting potassium and magnesium. If you're getting eating rice, you're getting protein, carbohydrates and all these things. And it's a really incredible way to understand. And you don't do that for a long time. You do it for a day or two just to kind of get an idea. 
The other way is to get a nutritionist to do it. Um, I really believe in seeking out help in areas that you're not an expert in. And if you're really committed to kind of um, to that way of eating, to uh, being an athlete, being a, a functioning human, to being a sustainable person, um, then, you know, outsourcing that and supporting someone's work who's studied and spent hours and hours trying to understand plant-based eating or nutrition, then, yeah, put, get them on your team. Like, I think we need to invest. Like, eating is such a huge part. And we want to do it well and we want to feel good. And there's people there that they want to do that too. They want to make you feel that way. Um, and so I think that just you don't even need to, like it doesn't have to be prolonged, just one session of just kind of this is what I want to do, give me your tips. Because I have tips, but like I also am very aware that I'm not 100% sure that they are like <laughs> probably scientifically backed and I'm afraid to give them out. Um, so I would just say like, yeah, find what works for you and really just be open, read and listen and watch videos. Don't watch full days of eating. Don't do that. Don't try and replicate someone else's day on a plate. It kills me every time I see it. Just, you know, find what works for you. Find what feels good. Eat foods you like. Eat foods that aren't considered healthy, but eat them with a smile. Because I think, like I wrote a cookbook and at the front of the cookbook, I said, you know, these foods if you're so stressed about wondering if this food is healthy or if it's vegan or if it's whatever, like organic, you're going to be, your body's in such a state of stress. It doesn't matter if you eat lettuce, it's your body's not going to like it and absorb it. You could like, it just doesn't matter. You've got to just eat feeling relaxed about what you're doing, fuel your body, nourish it and just enjoy and be like so grateful that this is what's in front of you. And these are the people around you and that you have this, uh, food that's going to fuel you for your athletics or for your day. Um, and I think that that's kind of what's really, really important for me. I love that. Like the, the mindset around eating and what you're eating is so important. I totally agree with that. I think I'm definitely someone who believes in having a really balanced diet. And I think I, you know, I let myself eat treats. I think last week I had a few donuts, maybe like three donuts, which is, um, you know, over two days, <laughs> maybe quite extreme as well. But um, I'm just like, I think a lot of people get so um, stressed and so aware of what they're eating that their body goes into a state of fear. So when you're actually eating that food, you're doing more damage by the stress that you're under than actually consuming the food. So just eat the food and let your body absorb it and churn through it and then never think about it again versus like eating it, feeling really guilty, holding on to it. Your body stresses for days because you ate it and that's what's going to do the damage. So I um, the idea around mindset when you're eating as well. Um, we want to touch on something that you've already spoken a little bit about, but maybe we'll go a little deeper around the pressures of social media in particular. Like you have a very big following, over 100,000 people follow you on Instagram, which is incredible that you've built such a strong community. But do you ever feel judged? I know you have I talked a little bit about it so far, but can you just talk us through like how you've dealt with that judgment internally and how you've been able to like build such a thick skin? Yeah, definitely. I think like social media is, it's such an interesting platform. You know, it's this place that we go to, to look for inspiration, to look for, to, for judgment, for kind of um, comparison to, to share our lives, right? Like we post onto this grid of Instagram and it's this one screen, this one photo that's taken in a 
24 hour day and it takes one second to take. And we post that and we're like, check out my life, like blue skies, sun's shining. I look great, probably filtered. That's not how my skin looks, but I'm going to clear it up and make myself tanned, you know, and we look at it and we go, oh man, she's got it sorted. Like, look at that. God, it just never rains. She never gets a pimple. Like her life is amazing. And I think that it's incredibly challenging to go on to there and try and be very open-minded and to post and be like, today's a real shit day. Like, I don't want to take a photo today, but I, so I don't have anything to post, but I want to tell you probably me not posting and that I'm struggling. And I think that, you know, I have, I was on, I'm on Instagram as Lucy, the runner, you know, people, when I started to post more about the cooking, it was kind of like, well, Lucy, stay in your lane. You're not a chef. Like, this is not what we're here for. When I started posting pictures of my dog, it was like, not really interested in your dog, not a dog person. Can we go back to the running stuff? And then it was kind of like, you know, went into lockdown and posted pictures of like road running. Oh, Lucy, I thought you were a trail runner. Like where are the mountains? Uh, I don't live in the mountains. I live in Australia, in Melbourne. And it's kind of like, I'll never please everyone, you know, and it's really hard to understand, to come to um, agree like that and acknowledging it and being like, wow, you know, you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And it's incredible to have a hundred thousand followers, but I would also rather have 10 people that support me for who I am as a whole, whole person than, you know, 5 million people that are like, I like this really small, minute part of you that you're not showing enough of. Um, and I think that that's like incredibly challenging because you receive comments and comments telling you that, you know, you're doing it wrong. You're not eating right. You're not training hard enough. You're looking different. You're, you know, like, don't like this. Don't show this. Stop doing this. And it's kind of like, this is my page. You know, the other day I got a comment saying that I was self-absorbed and I was kind of like you're following my page it's called my name it is me of course I am going to be in the pictures or it's going to be what I see and it's about my life and I just think people have forgotten the fact that you don't have to follow me you can unfollow silently I would be great it'd be greatly appreciated and I see people needing to feel seen and heard you know they want to make big comments big radical assumptions and thoughts about you because they want to, you know, they want likes and they want the, the, that to be the, the new topic. And I think that that's what, like, I draw attention to it. Like I will, if someone comments something, I'll post it. I'll be like, if you want to say this publicly in the comments, I'll make it public as a post. And we can discuss this because I am not okay with you criticizing my life for you to, tell me how I should look, how I should live, what I should eat. You know, like I'm not here. I'm not asking on Instagram, please help me. What do I do? I'm going, this is what I've done. And yeah, I screwed up a few times, but that's fine. Like that's who I am. And I just like, I see it across so many accounts where I'm just like, how, how can you, I could never say that to someone. Would you say this to my face? No. And I think that, um, we're, we're losing, the we, we're forgetting that behind that person behind the screen on the other end is another human being and I feel like it's dividing people so much and yeah I've caught my fair share and honestly it's been my dad but you know he still to this day reads every comment that goes on to my um on my Instagram and if he sees one and I haven't spoken about it he'll be like you know how do you feel about that like let's talk about it what do you think that says about them and 
how does it make you feel and why, like, are you upset by that? And it, it's allowed me to be like, yeah, I was really upset. It's really affected my day. You know, it's, it's not easy to be told you're, you know, you're fat and you're, your racing days are done and that you're, you know, self-absorbed and a bad influence and all these things when I'm out here trying to do my best. And I think that's what we need to remember that everyone is. And so I think, you know, here, whilst it's like a positive platform, I really am trying to like reduce my time on it because I post what I want to post. I say what I want to say. And then it's kind of like, don't really care what anyone else has to say about that. Um, but it does matter to me when I start to, when it's a public and obviously other, other people read it. And I, there's a certain point where you need to say, um, this is not okay to say to me, but it is more not okay to say to someone who maybe doesn't have the kind of experience I have with these kind of comments, because there's so many people that I would, I know that if they had that comment, it would spiral them really fast. And I want to yeah make a point that this doesn't vibe with me and it shouldn't vibe with humanity so that's like my 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 key on being on social media is like if you're so authentic that you're yourself um it shouldn't matter what other people say but it will matter to some people and that's my issue um like someone said to me the other day when I got that comment they said oh when you've hated when you're hated you're you've made it and I was like that has got to be (laughs) the most horrible thing to say like once you've got haters, you've made it. I was just gobsmacked that that was kind of like, oh, that's an expectation. When you get a following, you're going to have, you're expected to be trolled and to be abused and to be be pulled down and to be insulted publicly. Like, no, that's not, that should not be an expectation of like, you got a blue tick on Instagram, like verified means you get vilified. No, that's not right. Yeah. Wow. That's insane. That's a really sad association to have with um, someone being mean to you means you've made it. Um, but obviously with such success and, and so many followers and, and having such a great career with ultra running, do you think you still have really high expectations of yourself or have you um, accepted that what will be will be with all your experience? Yeah, I would definitely say that I mean, I haven't raced since kind of going through this evolution of, uh, yeah, what felt like hell (laughs) during the last year and a half. Um, So I'm not really sure how I will feel like standing on a start line again and and racing internationally and that imposter syndrome if it will return. Um, But I like when I think about it and I visualize it and I talk about races and what I want to do and, you know, I entered Western States again. So for the third time after having such success to feeling like a total failure, you know, I'm happy with something in the middle this time. Um, I think I'm a very, I really want to give myself grace. And what I realized is that the people that do follow me and have stuck around from 2018 success and watched me, you know, struggle a lot is that no one, they don't care. You know, they're not here for the results. They're here for like just so much more of who I am. And I'm not just Lucy the runner. And that's what I really wanted to prioritize is just like you are not defined by your result. You're not defined by your weight. You're not defined by your times and your place and, you know, how much money you make. Like, no, you're, you know, you are you for so many other things. And those are the reasons that I want people to stay around and, and follow me is for those other things, because I will not always be Lucy, the runner. I will not run the times I've run before, or, you know, like those things will always change, but the constant will be that I will remain who I am. Um, 
so I think, yeah, I'd be interesting when I stand on the start line again and kind of put a race bib on and, you know, for that day, I'm Lucy the athlete and I'm here to perform. And this is my, you know, my, this is my career, my passion and to see how that feels. But I think for me, like the cool thing is, is that I've really tried to shift into using running as a storytelling and an inspiration type of way, rather than like a racing and a competitive. Um, and I've really found the beauty in, in the storytelling side of things. And I just love yeah, like I just love talking to my athletes and just hearing about their run. Like I just want to know how was your run? I don't care how far you went. I don't care how much you climbed, what pace. I don't, yeah, like that doesn't interest me at all. I want to know, did you have a good time? Did you, like I make them all send me a selfie. Every Saturday afternoon I just get pinged with uh, with something interesting they saw because it makes you appreciate the little things. And uh, I think people think they're running such a big thing, but it's such a small ingredient to uh, to a sustainable life. Yeah, and going back to that, I think like we at Femi didn't want to bring you on as a coach because of your results. Like obviously you're an incredible athlete and you've achieved some amazing things. But personally, we wanted to bring you into Femi as a coach because we knew how kind and caring you are and how vulnerable you are and how you can make any environment feel safe for the athlete. So that's why we love you and why we wanted you on our team. And I think the accolades that you bring along is just a cherry on top but without them you're still that incredible kind caring coach so we're very lucky to have you um just to finish off we've got a couple of um quick fire questions for you just two the first one is if you could tell your younger self so think about yourself you know as that 15 year old before you'd even run the 100ks if you could tell her one thing what would it be Oh, I think I would tell her, I think something that I've always said to myself is hakuna matata and it means no worries. And I think that I apply that to, to everything I do. And I think that if I, I kind of found that phrase and loved it like really early on in my life, but I've really brought it back. And it's something that like, I'll be running and, you know, something will go wrong or I'll be thinking about something and I'll be like, Lucy, kinematata means no worries. Like just, just move on. Like don't hold grudges. Don't think about that session that you didn't do or you didn't get the paces right. You know, just And I think that if I kind of like, about that before and realize that like yes there's going to be people that are not going to like you there's people going to love you you're going to have good days you're going to have bad days there's going to be rain there's going to be rainbows like hakuna matata nothing lasts forever go do you i am a massive lion king fan so i <laughs> love that <laughs> my um my partner Byron actually has that tattooed on his thigh so <laughs> He loves it too. So good. (laughs) So good. Um, Yeah, and one final finished question for you. We have, um, what do you feel your purpose is on Mother Earth? Oh, I love that. Um, I feel like my purpose is to, I think my purpose is to be me. I think everyone's job is to just like in this world is to like you're put here for a reason and that's to do you. Um, But I really feel that like when I've talked to people and talked to the like the story of being a runner and why they get out there and sharing that I think it's the most powerful thing asking people like 
why, why do you see the importance of putting your shoes on every day and going running? And I love the stories that you hear when you ask that question. And so I feel like my purpose is to, to bring those stories out and to, or to start that story for someone and say, you should put on your shoes and, you know, just to kind of advocate for, you don't have to run a certain distance, look a certain way, run a certain pace to be a runner. I feel like I want to just, I really, really passionate about telling people that like being a runner is being a human. And like, I think that just breaking down that barrier of like, I'm not good enough and just kind of say like, I used to think that and I'm here. So like, let's, let's start, let's put one foot forward and then the next one, and then we'll see what happens. Amazing, Lucy. Thank you so much. I think so many people, both males and females, are going to get so much out of this conversation. So thank you for being our first guest on the FemiPod. And um, we can't wait to have you chat to more of our athletes, I'm sure, very soon. I'm honoured. Thank you so much, Lydia and Esther. I love you. Thanks, Lucy. We love you. Thank you for tuning in to our first guest interview on the FemiPod. I'm sure you all loved our convo with Lucy. Subscribe to our channel on Spotify and stay tuned for us to launch on Apple Podcasts soon. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram at femi.co, that is F-E-M-M-I dot C-O, and hit us with any questions you may have from this combo. Stay tuned on next week's conversations between Esther and myself as we launch on an exciting journey with Femi. Thanks, and chat next week.